0: Well, good evening. Welcome to Hebron. Welcome to our evening service. And uh, we're we're turning to the Word of God. And we trust that you'll be blessed and that God will speak uh, to us tonight through His Word. So this evening we're continuing our mini-series on transformational prayer. Um, and, And over the last few Sundays we've studied the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And what has challenged me from that study of Paul's prayers is the spiritual ambition of Paul in his prayers for his brothers and sisters. Last week we looked at his prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, this, this is Paul's prayer. He says that you may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner, inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Have you ever prayed like that for someone else? Or his prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Or Philippians 1 verse 9, it is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. These are truly transformational prayers. Prayers with ambition to transform God's people and therefore to transform the communities of God's people. And Paul's prayers have challenged my heart about the ambition I have in my prayers. What do we pray for when we pray for our brothers and sisters? Is there spiritual ambition in our prayers for them? Is there real spiritual ambition for the church here at Hebron? And so this evening we're going to take a slightly different tact in our study... And we're going to look at the early church, praying in Acts chapter 4. And and here is a gathering of prayer, and it's a prayer meeting that shook the city. It's a prayer meeting that transformed a city. And we're we're going to see what we can learn from this passage in Acts chapter 4. So if, you, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Acts chapter 4, uh, and we're going to read from, verses, uh, from verse 23 down to verse 31. Now let me just uh, set the background to the passage here. Um, the background to this goes back to chapter 3 of Acts, where we read about Peter and John and the miracle of the healing of the lame man. Uh, The man who had been lame from birth, sitting at the gate of the temple. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now that's important. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter then preaches to the crowds where central to the message he preaches is once again the name of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 16 uh, Peter says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Peter and John then find themselves arrested. The power of God is is transforming the city of Jerusalem. Um, There could be by now as many as 20,000 Christians in the city of Jerusalem, and the authorities don't like it. And so Peter and John are are put into prison, they're put into custody, and in verse 17 of chapter 4, they are warned to speak no more to anyone in the name of Jesus Christ. They were banned about speaking about Jesus. Speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. And then you come down to verse 19 of chapter 4, and and you have Peter's response. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Verse 21 of chapter 4, they are then further threatened, and then they are released. And so we come to verse 23 and uh, we pick up the story. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, So here we have a prayer meeting of the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, This is a church that is facing opposition and persecution from the religious leaders of the Jewish nation. They want to eliminate the name of Jesus Christ. Our society is heading that same way. Peter and John have just been released from custody. They have been threatened by the council of the Sanhedrin. Just look at verses 5 and 6. Look at some of the names that are mentioned in this council. Verse 6, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas. These names are familiar to us. These are the same men that orchestrated the death of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, Peter... And John's lives were in jeopardy. And so on their release from prison, from custody, where do they instinctively head for? Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. If you're reading in the, the ESV. The word friends really means their own Um, If you're reading the NIV, it reads as follows. They they went to their own people. The authorized version says they went to their own company, their own. This word, own, is the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 13, uh, where it says about Jesus having loved his own. He loved them to the end. They went to the church, the church in Jerusalem. They headed for this new community of believers in the city of Jerusalem, their brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, straight out of prison and straight to church. It tells you something about the value they placed on meeting together with their brothers and sisters to pray. Now put yourself in their shoes. If, if, you, if your life was in jeopardy, if you were threatened about not to speak about Jesus, if you were put in prison and you were released, where is the first place you would head for? For me, I have to be honest, it would be home. Home. Peter and John go to their own. They go to the church and they tell the church about what the chief priests and the elders have said to them, how they have been threatened and warned by the very same men who put Jesus to death. They have been warned not to speak and to teach at all in the name of Jesus. verse 24, when they heard it, when the church Heard it, what did the church do? Did they panic? Was it like Corporal Jones and and Dad's army don't don't panic? Were were they filled with fear? Did they disband secretly and retire quietly to their homes? No, they, they, they prayed. The church had mobilized to pray. And this was a prayer meeting that shook the very building they were in. A prayer meeting that that shook the city. And this is the power of prayer in action. This is a a transformational prayer. You know, I, I wonder if we have lost sight of the power of a praying church. One of the themes in our study of the book of Ephesians, which we went through on on Sunday mornings, was the importance of the church to God. Uh, You know, God carrying out his, his purposes and his will on earth. And therefore, the importance of the church at prayer. That it is through prayer, through the church that we bring the will of God down to earth. You know, I was reading uh, Watchman Nee uh, earlier on in the week um, on the subject of prayer, and he had this comment, and, and it resonated with me, and I thought it was helpful. He says this, A serious error concerning prayer prevails in our common understanding which is to say that we often think of prayer as an outlet for expressing what we need. We do not see that prayer is the asking of God to fulfill His needs. Rather, it is God accomplishing His purpose through the prayers of believers see, the importance of the prayers of the church. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16? He, he's speaking about the church. He's speaking about the authority of the church. And he says, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, God works through the church. Does that not elevate the importance of the church coming together to pray. That every church should be a praying church. That our very purpose as a church is to live out and carry out the will and purpose of God on earth. Now let's look at the church praying in Acts chapter 4. Uh, and um, want to think about the marks of a praying church. Uh, And Alvis, if you could just put up uh, the first point here. Seven marks. Don't don't panic. Don't do a Corporal Jones. It's uh, seven seven, uh, points, but they're very brief. The first point that I want to, to notice from the passage here is the importance of unity. The unity of their prayers. Look at verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Now, I understand that the word voices in the original is actually in the singular. They lifted up their voice to God. And the idea here is not that they all said the same words together, not that they rehearsed the same prayer together, but the idea is that one person lifted up their voice. And the rest of the company lifted up their hearts together with that voice. There was a unity in prayer. The second point. um, I want you to notice how they addressed God at the beginning of their prayer. Verse 24 again. They lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. You know, that this, this whole question of authority um, is one of the themes going on here in this section of Acts. You know, the the, the church is coming together and, and they're saying to God, the authorities here in Jerusalem, Lord, they are ordering us not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. But we know that you are the ultimate authority. You are sovereign Lord, and so we come to you as a church in prayer. Your church. Now, the word sovereign Lord, the Greek word used here, is where we get our English word despot from. Um, it means absolute master. Now, uh, you know, a number of people have been accusing uh, Boris Johnson of acting like a despot. Uh, you know, the past week. This is the same word that's used in 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, where it's describing the relationship between a slave and his master, and and how a slave honors his master. And there were two types of slave-master relationship. For a a slave who was paid, a hired servant, the word for master was foreman. But for a slave who, who had been bought, who had been purchased, It's this word, despot, absolute master. And you see, this is how we put everything in our lives into perspective. When we come in prayer into the presence of the sovereign Lord, we know He's in control, we know He is all powerful, He rules over all. He is the ultimate authority. He is the creator who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so they began their prayer with worship. That's my second point. Worshiping God for who He is. And they're effectively beginning their prayer and saying to God, You are in control. Your authority is supreme. And we submit To your authority. You are sovereign, Lord. Now, the third point, uh, we come down to verses 25 to 28, and you know, in their prayer, they claimed the authority of Scripture in their prayer. Look at how they related their circumstances to Scripture. Uh, Verses 25 and 26. And this is a quotation uh, from Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're quoting Psalm 2 in, in this prayer. Now the point is this. that the early church here understood the significance of this scripture in relation to their situation. They understood that what had happened in Jerusalem with the the opposition, the rejection, the the persecution that Jesus faced from the religious and from the, uh, the civil authorities They understood that this had been foretold by God in the Old Testament Scriptures. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And so they understood that this was all part of God's predestined plan. Verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Sovereign Lord. And so scripture assured them that God was in control. And they had confidence that the opposition that they were now facing from these very same religious authorities was all part of God's purpose and plan for the church. They were absolutely convinced that what they were about to ask God for in prayer was in keeping with His will and purpose. And you know, we too as a church when we come together to pray, we can claim the promises of God. We can rest on the authority of Scripture and know that what we are praying for is in keeping with God's will and purpose. To know that the witness and work of this church is part of God's eternal plan and purpose and that what we do and that what we pray for is in keeping with God's revealed will. Now we come down to verse 29, and it's only now, only now do the church begin to ask God for something, which brings me to my fourth, fifth, and sixth points. How about that for, for speed? Their prayer was specific, their prayer was short, and their prayer was selfless. Now, let me start with the fact that their prayer was short. You know, you read through this prayer and you'll discover, you know, it lasted maybe two and a half minutes top, tops. It was simple, it was short, it was focused. You know, it wasn't a long, drawn out prayer. The reason it was so succinct was because it was specific. They asked God for two things. First of all, they asked for boldness. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Secondly, they asked God to intervene. In verse 30, to display His marvelous power while you, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And here's the third point, or the sixth point. That in asking for these two things, their prayer was absolutely selfless. In fact, it was sacrificial. That's maybe a better word. It was a sacrificial prayer. Because what they were praying for was the very thing that would cause them more trouble. And what they were praying for was the very thing that would put them back into prison. And was the very thing that could potentially result in their deaths. You see, they understood what was at stake here. The name of Jesus Christ. The honor of Jesus Christ. They had been ordered to stop speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. Speak no more to anyone in this name. And they knew that this was contrary to God's will. Chapter 4, verse 19. We, we, we read it already. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, said Peter, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Chapter 5, verse 29. Peter says we must obey God rather than men. It's to do with authority. And yes, we are to be submissive, but there is a line when 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 that uh, contradicts the the Word of God. And so they pray for boldness to continue to speak your Word. The word boldness means to speak unreservedly, without fear of the consequences, to speak with clarity. And secondly, for God to move in power, to heal, to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Wow, what a prayer. Would you ever pray a prayer like that? Knowing that your situation, that what you have prayed for, could put your situation in jeopardy, would you ever pray a prayer like that? This was the confidence, this was the trust that they had in God. Sovereign Lord. But more than that, they were prepared to act on their prayer. Look at uh, 31, the second half of of verse 31. Uh, They continued, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Come down to verse 33. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great power and great grace. Come down to chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And verse 14 more than ever believers were added to the Lord why would you pray for boldness if you're not going to speak about Jesus and sometimes we need to understand that that we can be the answer to our own prayers you know you think of um uh, Matthew chapter 9 and and, and You know, this is a good example. Jesus said to his disciples uh, that they were to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The very next chapter, who is being sent out into the harvest? It's the disciples. They were the answer to their own prayer. And am I prepared to pray a selfless prayer A sacrificial prayer. Because this is the kind of prayer that transforms a church. Now my seventh and final point. uh, Verse 31. I want to think about the effects of this prayer. When they had prayed. The place in which they had gathered together. Was shaken. It's God answering. The prayer of this church. Not only was the building shaken, but, but the city was shaken, as we've seen, you know, following it down and into chapter 5. And what about them? What about, you know, as, as people, we read in verse 31 that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know, we've come across that phrase in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. And uh, we we noted when we studied it that it's actually a command. It's not an option, it's a command. We have to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means that my life should be under the control of God's Holy Spirit. My desires, my my thoughts, my motives, my actions, everything. Under the control of God's Holy Spirit. Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And you see, the, the real secret of transformational prayer is not so much, firstly, what I say, but it's about who I am and what I am in prayer. You know, you can read through the Bible and you will read occasions in Scripture when God refuses to listen to the prayers of people. You know, you think about Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, you know, a, a rebellious people, disobedient people to God, the, the, the nation of Israel. And, and, and God says to them, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And you think about you know, the, the, the Pharisee and, and, and the publican going up to the temple to pray. And Jesus says about the, the Pharisee that he prayed to himself. You know, not to God. He prayed to himself. And you know, it's possible that if our lives are not right, we're praying to ourselves and not to God. And for prayer to be effective as a church, our lives need to be consistent before God. And it's about what we are in prayer. And so as we've considered the the prayers of Paul over these last few weeks, may our, our prayer lives be transformed. That we each may truly deepen our knowledge of God and in our walk with God in our lives and also as a church here in Hebron you know especially at this time this critical time this this time of of, of development in God's church here at Hebron a time where we will undoubtedly face opposition satanic opposition you know, when we are trying to make inroads into the community with with new staff, with new students coming into the city, with with um, you know the, the the youth night kicking off on Friday, with with home groups kicking off, this church needs to be united in prayer. And there are an, a number of opportunities to do that. Friday mornings. Sunday evenings, or maybe this coming Wednesday at the prayer meeting. And for the prayers of this church to shake this city. You know, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And what about this house? What about God's house? here in Hebron. You know, Jesus' desire for this house is just the same. That His house here might be called a house of prayer. May God bless His Word. Let's pray. Father, we just come to You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You speak to us through Your Word And we just think of the example of Paul, the example of the early church that we've considered tonight. And Father, we just pray that through your spirit you would uh, speak to each of us here. We do pray that this church might be a house of prayer, that we might be dependent upon you. And uh, Father, we just cast ourselves before you. We ask for your protection and for your guidance and for your power and strength that you would lead us on for your glory. And so we just thank you for your word today and uh, ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.